Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you guys out there. Uh, for those that I haven't met before, my name is Sean. Uh, glad you guys are here uh, to worship with us and spend some time in, in the Word. Uh, if you're new or relatively new to the church, we would love to get to know you. Uh, we have a connect booth underneath the oak tree uh, just outside in the courtyard. Uh, if you've never plugged into the church, you've never been involved beyond uh, Sunday morning, we would love to, to get you involved and connected in some way. So stop by uh, and say hello and let us uh, find a way to plug you in here at ABC. Um, a couple things to mark your calendar. I'm going to go in reverse sequential order. Um, let's see. Uh, the first thing is for the guys. Uh, we have a men's breakfast that's going to happen on August 26th uh, at 7 a.m. So that's a month away. And I know you guys, guys, if you're like me, you need a calendar. You're really good at planning. Um, that was a joke. I'm terrible at planning. Uh, but mark your calendar if you're a calendar guy and, and join us on August 26th at 7 a.m. for a men's breakfast. Uh, the next is for the ladies. There's two things for, for the women here at the church. Uh, one, uh, we're going to be doing a women's kickoff and it's it's going to be Bunko uh, on August 19th at 6.30 p.m. Um, so again, that's uh, August 19th, 6.30 p.m. If you're into a game where everybody wins, you should come. That's Bunko. Uh, sorry, that's terrible. I <laughs> shouldn't say that. Uh, it's a great opportunity to connect with the women of our church. A uh, cool way just to kind of engage with, with ABC, and we would love to have you join us for that. And then the second is there's a Hume Women's Retreat on September 29th through October 1st. If you've never been to Hume Lake, uh, we talk about it all the time with our youth, and, and we've taken guys groups and ladies groups up there. It's an amazing time to just disconnect from the world, reconnect with God and each other, and we would invite you guys to consider doing that uh, with uh, the women here at the church. And then this one last one is for everyone. We're going to be hosting a worship night uh, right here in the worship center on uh, August 6th at 6 p.m. Um, we hope you guys can join us for that. Mark your calendar. That's next week. Um, it's a great opportunity, again, just to connect with God and each other and, uh, and worship our Lord. So let me pray into our message and invite Gerald up. Lord, thank you so much. Uh, for this morning. Thank you for your provision in our lives. Thank you for a space where we can share and, um, and pray and, and worship you, God, uh, together. Lord, we just pray you would have your way this morning through the word and uh, that you would, um, yeah, just have all the honor and glory. Uh, we love you. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sean. Hi, ABC family. Uh, those of us who haven't met, my name is Gerald. I have the distinct privilege of serving this body as the discipleship pastor. And, oh my goodness, that worship set, we serve a God of revival, don't we? And there are few things that get me more revved up than seeing God at work. And one of the places that I saw God at work earlier this year is in a group we called Alpha. Back in February, you may have heard, we, we launched a group called Alpha, and Alpha is that group where you can come and you can ask some of life's biggest questions. You can ask, is there more to life than this? Is there really a God? If there is a God, how can I know that there is a God, and how can I come to know this God? How can I trust Him? And you can wrestle with those big questions in community, around food, around a table, and find some fellowship and find answers to those questions. What is Alpha? We have a short video I want us to look at, and then we'll discuss some more. Having conversations about life, faith, and Jesus is hard. And this is interesting, because at some point, everyone wrestles with life's big questions. Questions about hope, purpose, meaning, and love. 
Imagine creating a space where people in our community, our friends, neighbors, and coworkers, can come and have conversations in a way that is authentic and unforced. Where leaders don't need to have all the answers and anyone can ask tough questions and share honestly about what they believe. That's what Alpha is all about. So what is Alpha? Alpha is a series of interactive sessions exploring the basics of the Christian faith. In each session, you eat food, listen to a talk, and have discussions in small groups. Eating food together creates space for people to connect, relax, and build friendships. The talks tackle core questions about life and faith from a Christian perspective. And the discussion allows people to unpack these ideas without fear of being corrected or judged. All of this is done in a fun environment where anyone is welcome. That's what Alpha is. And so if you are like me and you love to see God at work, I want you to know that we have two Alpha sessions that we're going to be launching this fall, starting September 10th. One will be at 10.30 in the morning, on a Sunday morning, across the street in our student center, room one. That'll be a Sunday morning option where we think parents can come and entrust their children to our kids' men and have fellowship and food and meaningful discussion with people who have answers and winsome answers on a Sunday morning. We also plan to hold one on a Monday night at 6.30 p.m., and so there are two options for you to invite somebody to, and I want to ask you three questions. One, will you pray? Will you pray that God would draw the people that he wants to reach through this group called Alpha? And secondly, would you pray about specifically who you know, a family member, a friend, a coworker, who would benefit from being able to ask and seek answers to these big questions in a safe community? And thirdly, would you pray about what level of involvement God wants you to have in Alpha. We have a number of serving opportunities. Did you know that we have a prayer team that prays in real time while Alpha is going on? You could do that behind the scenes in real time. We also have a food team. As you heard from the video, that food and a meal, sharing a meal together is an important part of creating this warm, welcoming hospitality environment that provides the safe space to wrestle with these deep questions. Maybe you want to Help us by providing a meal for that. Or maybe you want to be a table host. If you were listening to the video, you know that the table hosts are not people that have all the answers. They're just people that provide a hospitable environment at the table and make sure that everybody there has an opportunity to share what they've heard in a loving, welcoming, respectful way. And lastly, childcare. We're anticipating needing somebody to take care of the children on the Monday night group. And currently, we don't have anybody that's able to serve to provide childcare for, for Alpha. So if any of these needs are something that the Lord might be tapping you on the shoulder and saying, you could do that, would you step by the Connect booth after service? You'll find out answers for your questions about Alpha, and you'll be able to sign up for any way of involvement with our Alpha group. And I want you to know that it's participating with ministries like Alpha that we actually are able to join Jesus in his work. He's the God of revival, right, who came to redeem humanity back from the domain of the devil and to restore us back into this beautiful original design that God created in humanity at creation. You've heard of restoration, right? You know of people that restore old homes. You know of people maybe that restore vintage cars. 
Some, like my dad, restore tractors. My dad has spent the last 20 years restoring antique tractors, and we went up there earlier this month because he sold them all at auction. I want to show you his long green line there. He, he tends to specialize in John Deere's, but he did have co-ops and farmalls and leaders and other colors represented too, but th this represents about 50% of the tractors that he sold at auction. My dad is great at restoring old tractors. And if you think about the process of restoration, you could break it down into three simple steps, right? One, you need to understand the original designed intent by the manufacturer or by the engineer, right? You need to know why it looks the way it does and what purpose it is designed to serve. Secondly, you'd look at the piece before you and you make an assessment or you take an inventory. What's missing? What's broken? What's been corrupted or corroded so much that it won't work according to the original design anymore? And then the last step is you just piece by piece restore everything back to its original condition so that it eventually looks and runs and functions the way that the engineer had originally designed. And that's what my dad did with each of these tractors. And that's what Jesus has come to do on this earth. His is a ministry of redemption and restoration. And we need to understand that humanity is the pinnacle of God's creation. And we get to take a look at, at the intent that God hardwired into humanity when we look at the creation account. I'm going to read three verses out of Genesis chapter 1. This is Genesis 1, beginning at verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is God's original design for humanity. We are the crown jewel of his creation. Unlike the other critters that crawl on the earth, we were not made according to our kind. We were made in the image of God himself. We were entrusted as local managers of God's creation and giving clear marching orders according to his design of what we were supposed to do. We were to be fruitful. We were to multiply. We were to fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over all things as the local manager of God managing his creation. All that God originally created has been affected by the fall. Everything for Adam and Eve in the garden was perfect. They had everything that they needed in order to fulfill this dominion mandate, to fulfill these marching orders of God's original design. And then Genesis 3 happened, where Adam and Eve listened to the voice of the serpent, Satan, God's enemy, and they chose to believe what he said over what God had said, and they acted on it, and they took of that forbidden fruit and we know the effects of the fall as a result of that. Every part of God's original design for humanity has been, become broken, is missing, or has been corrupted beyond recognition. And that's the world that we're living in. So Jesus came to restore 
And we'll see in Matthew chapter 19 that Jesus came to restore three things. He came to restore physical and mental health. We'll see that he came to restore honor to marriage. And we'll see that he came to restore the value of children. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. We'll begin reading at verse 1. And before we read, let's pray. Father, we praise you for your wise design for humanity. We praise you that you preserved that design through the scriptures that were inspired by the Holy Spirit and preserved by the Spirit. And we ask now that you would fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit and that you would guide us into the truth as you promised. We pray it, Jesus, in your name and for your ultimate glory. Amen. Matthew 19, beginning at verse 1. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case for a man and his wife, it's better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been made so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have been made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. Then children were brought to him, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. Jesus is on a, on a mission. He's on a mission of restoration. He came to restore people. He came to restore health, physical health and mental health. And we see here in verse 1 that Jesus is on the move. And we can see from this map that he has been conducting most of his ministry in the upper right-hand portion of this map. His ministry base has been out of Capernaum on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. And he has said many words and done many miracles in that region of Galilee. And now he is moving his way down toward Jerusalem because he told his disciples in chapter 16, verse 21, he began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Jesus knows what awaits him in Jerusalem, and he is moving from Galilee in that direction because he knows that his mission of redemption and restoration requires him to die on Roman's cross and to be buried and to be raised again three days later. 
So he's on the move now, and today, the events of today are happening in this region on the lower right called Perea. He's on the other side of the Jordan. And that's the context here. So he's moving from Galilee toward Jerusalem, and there's a crowd of people following him, and Matthew's simple summary statement is that he healed them there. You see, Jesus understands the process of restoration. He knows very well, because he was at creation, what the original designed intent that God had for humanity was. And he knows the effects of the fall. He knows exactly how this idea of Health and wholeness that God had built into humanity, how the fall has corrupted it so that now there's infirmity and there's mental instability and there's demon oppression, right? And Jesus goes about and he restores the people that are following him. He heals them. Some had legs that didn't work, they couldn't walk, and he healed them. Some had shriveled hands, they stretch it out, he heals them. Others were oppressed by demons or others had epilepsy, right? And he heals them all. Matthew doesn't give us those details here, but from the earlier portions of Matthew, we see that Jesus' healing ministry was nothing short of miraculous. And what he's doing in every healing is restoring humanity back to that original design that was spoken into existence at the moment of creation. Jesus is restoring humanity back to health. Now, Jesus also came to restore the honor of marriage, and we see that in verse 3 when the Pharisees come up and they say, i got to get back to Matthew 19, the Pharisees come up and they test him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, this is indeed a test, and if you've been reading with us and studying your way through the Matthew, you know that the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, have been testing Jesus by posing difficult questions before him. Now, this is a difficult question. This is a test because this question is at the heart of debate between two rabbinical schools of thought. On one side, we have the school of Hillel, and the other side, the school of Shammai. Now, the school of Hillel was a, a more liberal school that interpreted the law of God, the books of Moses, in such a way that said that a man was justified to divorce his wife for almost any reason, including if all she did was spoil a meal that she had prepared for him. So, ladies, you burn the toast, you're out, right? And in fact, I think at least the first meal you made for me, you burnt, right? It's, it's a good thing I wasn't studying in the school of Hillel at the time. On the other side is the school of Shammai that took a much more conservative approach to interpreting the law of God and stated that a man could only divorce his wife if he had found some level of indecency in her, some level of unchastity in her. I suspect this is what Joseph and Mary were following. When Joseph discovers that Mary is pregnant and he knows that it's not by him, what does the text say? It says he chose to divorce her quietly because he has perceived in her some level of unchastity. And that's when the angel shows up in his dream and says, no, the child in your wife is by the Holy Spirit. Don't be afraid to marry Mary. Take her as your wife, right? And so he does. So no matter how Jesus answers, he will alienate himself from one of these two rabbinical schools of thought. Secondly, this question is being posed by the Pharisees in a geographical location where Herod is ruling over it. And if you remember back earlier in Matthew, 
Jesus' cousin John the Baptist was ultimately beheaded by Herod because he took a stand against his unlawful marriage to his brother Philip's wife. Her name was Herodias. So Jesus literally could be putting his own neck at stake here depending on how he answers this test set before him by the Pharisees. It's a test, two prongs. So how Jesus answers is of very much interest to me and to you, right? What does Jesus do? He answers the question by pointing back to God's original design. Step one in the restoration process, we need to understand the original design. He says in verse 4, God made them male and female. He says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? God is the creator, and he creates humanity, and he hardwires this distinction of maleness and femaleness into our DNA. Being made male and female is essential to God's good design for marriage. And he goes on in verse 5, and he says, Therefore... A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. A man shall leave his father and his mother. In other words, part of God's good design is to have a healthy separation from the family of origin in order for the man to cling to his wife. And that brings us to the point of realization that for a man, his highest earthly relational commitment gets transferred from his parents, his mother and his father, to that of his wife at the moment that they are married. And this man leaving his, his parents and clinging to his wife is an essential part of God's good design in marriage. He must hold fast to his wife. This verb that's translated as hold fast, think cling. It's, it's the same word used in Luke 10, 11 that says, even the dust of your town that clings to your feet we wipe off against you. So when you think about what a man is to do with his wife, he's to cling to her. Think, think cling wrap, that stuff that sticks best to itself rather than the bowl you're trying to stick it to. Think sticky. This is the idea that every man is to have with his wife. He's to stick to her. And lastly, Jesus says that the two shall become one flesh. This refers to the physical overlap of the sexual union between a man and a woman. It's, it's an intentional order. We've been made male and female. A man leaves mother and father. He clings to his wife, and then the two become one flesh. And this idea of a one flesh union, that's essential to God's good design for marriage as well. So in a nutshell, God's design for marriage, his good original intent for marriage, is for one man to devote his life exclusively to one woman, and for these two to become one flesh through the sexual union. And that's a reality that in God's good design would last for life. And it's designed to bear children. Which brings us to point three in today's message on your outline. Jesus is restoring the value of children. We see here that Jesus understands the original intent for children. It was baked into creation, the design for humanity. They were to become one flesh, and they were to be fruitful and multiply. They were to rule over God's creation, right? We were to fill the earth and subdue it. That is the original design. 
And Jesus looks here and he discerns what is broken or missing from that original design. He recognizes that his disciples are rebuking parents for bringing the children to Jesus. Culturally, children were being prohibited from bothering Jesus. And Jesus corrects that. Jesus says, no, let the little children come to me, for to such belong the kingdom of heaven. Jesus loves children. He says, let them come to me. In other words, let them come into existence and let them come to me. Do not hinder them from coming to me, which is why we value children's ministry and youth ministry here at this church. Jesus loves children, and we don't want to hinder them from coming to him. And he says, to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. In other words, the simple childlike faith that a good child has in his good and faithful father, one that takes what the father says at face value and one that believes the father can do anything, that's the kind of faith that you and I are to have of our heavenly father in the kingdom. And I just want to acknowledge that the fall has messed this up in every way. Some of you have longed to be fruitful and multiply and to have children, but for one reason or another have found yourself unable to do that. And I want you to know that God knows that, and that doesn't mean that you are less than in anybody. That is worthy of grieving over, and we grieve with you and for you, and we believe that God has a good and a wonderful plan for you, and he will Take the pain of that experience and use that to restore you back into his good design. The falls affected everything. Sins compromised our bodies, our minds, our perception of reality. And as a result, every aspect of God's good design has become broken or corrupted. And this can uniquely be seen in our marriage relationships. So I want to step back into point two now and look how Jesus came to restore honor to marriage and, and look at step two in the restoration process where we assess what's broken, what's missing, what's corrupted. And we find that the idea of being made male and female is broken as a result of the fall. One of the effects of the fall is that we live in a world now where many people are drawing a distinction between biological sex and their gender. Many are experiencing gender dysphoria as a result of the fall, and in response, they're choosing to identify with a gender that's different than that which the doctor entered in as sex on their birth certificate. And what the Bible is saying here is that there is no distinction between sex, biological, biological sex and gender. And if this happens to describe you or somebody that you love, you, I'm so glad that you're here. Because God loves you and he has a wonderful plan and your being here today is part of that wonderful plan. My job as pastor is to teach the truth, to teach the truth and unpack it as we have received it from God himself. And the truth that each one of us, including those wrestling with gender dysphoria, needs to know and understand is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. We are all welcome here because God loves us. And he loves us so much that he says, come, come to me and I will give you rest. And he loves us so much that he will not leave any of us where we are when we come to him. 
He will restore us. He will restore our thinking to that of His. He will restore our image to that of His. He will restore humanity to the original design. God is the creator. We are His workmanship. And that's baked into Jesus' answer here in Matthew 19. And as His workmanship, we are made male and female. Therefore, we declare we receive our gender from the Creator. We don't have control over it, nor can we change it. There's one pastor that said it this way. He unpacks these truths that Jesus is speaking here in Matthew 19 by saying this. He says, first, God is the Creator, and we are the creatures. That means we don't make our own identity. We receive it. Second, God did not split our souls and our bodies to knit us together as a whole people. He doesn't mash together male minds and female bodies or vice versa. And third, God sets our sex into our whole bodies. Maleness and femaleness are written into biology from chromosomes to hormones to anatomy, including our sex organs and our brains. For this reason, our physical bodies are our guide for gender. Our gender expression, being a brother or a sister, a wife or a husband, a father or a mother, coincides with and arises from our physical bodies. This is the original designed intent by our triune God who spoke all that is into existence. To declare otherwise is to put ourselves in the position of God himself, which is the sin of idolatry. To say that we have control over our gender and can choose it as opposed to receive it is to be an idol, an idol maker. And that does not make anybody choosing to do that any different than me. I choose to, as a codependent, I'm in Celebrate Recovery, and I identify myself as struggling against codependency because what I do when I boot up in the flesh is I will do and say whatever it takes to make you love me because my identity is in how much you think about me. And biblically, that's a sin. That's the sin of idolatry. I have put myself in God's place. The truth of the matter is, is I'm a beloved, chosen son of the Most High God. That's my identity. And when I allow that identity to be the core from which I live, I find that I am freed from manipulating you to serving you, to loving you, and to bringing you to Jesus, just like some others have brought me to Jesus. So every aspect of God's good design has been clouded and broken by the fall. And one of my goals today is for you to see how God's good design for marriage showed up as broken in my own marriage. And I want to invite my wife, Lisa, up to help us understand that from her perspective. Uh, Lisa and I, by God's grace, have been married 31 years, one month, and three days. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Did and I, I grab the right one? Yeah? Okay. Yeah, and that we had some hard times in our life. We had some very difficult days where about seven years in, Lisa was about ready to leave me. And I want you to hear from her perspective why that was so hard why that season was so hard, and how she saw God's good design of being made male and female, of a husband needing to leave his parents and cling to his wife and become one flesh. How did that good design show up as broken in our marriage? 
Well, I think the first thing that was broken in our marriage when we got married is I was a believer and you were not. And so because of that, that flavored everything in our marriage. I was not walking with the Lord. Um, I had walked into the world when I met Gerald. Gerald was a great guy. He had, from the world standard, great morals. I trusted him. I loved him. But that was the first thing, I think, that was broken within our marriage. We were both broken in that. I wasn't walking with the Lord. He was not a believer at the time. But I thought I was. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I think the second thing is I think about our marriage, and I think about um, marriage in particular. There's a few things that come to mind. And the first thing is, is as a woman, and many of you will probably be able, be able to relate to this, my highest priority in my marriage is not highest priority, but the thing that I long for the most in my marriage is to feel safe to feel safe, to feel secure. And that included spiritually, mentally, or emotionally, and physically. I have never not felt safe with you physically or emotionally. I feel as though Gerald cares for me very well in those areas. Um, but I think the thing that was really broken in our marriage was I was a self-sufficient, I can do all things by myself, I don't need you, I can do this person. And Gerald was absent spiritually for us. Um, he grew up on a farm that was a fourth generation, and he loved his work. Um, and I took that as loving his work and his family and setting a priority of his parents in that relationship over the relationship that I had with him. Um, I don't think that was actually true in his mind. Um, he was doing what he had learned to do his whole life. But what happened then is because Gerald wasn't um, leading me spiritually or giving me the um, ability to follow him in a spiritual way, I took charge of that in our marriage. Um, I decided that if he wasn't going to lead me spiritually, I would do it myself. There's that idol of me, me, me again. And then also um, decided that I would lead our kids as, as well. And so it was turned around. Um, seven years into our marriage, I was tired. I was tired emotionally and spiritually. And I had a, we think Jesse was like four, almost four. Josiah, or Anna was 18 months and Josiah was a newborn. And I just remember being so tired and feeling like his priorities were not me or my kids. And I decided that I don't need him. I don't need you to, to do this. And so I called my mom and I said, I'm coming home, which wasn't home. Um, and she said, she asked me why and I told her and she said, um, no, you're not coming home. Um, I will, your dad and I will fly you all out, including Gerald, and spend some time with you. So they flew us out. And here's the thing. I thought I had a great marriage. You did. <laughs> I was clueless. I thought we were just going out to Bakersfield for Easter. Yeah, and that's my, that's my fault as well, which the communication, the lack of communication, I wasn't able to express to him what I needed. I wasn't able to share with him, I don't feel safe with you spiritually or emotionally right now. And, and so not being able to open up to you and share those things with you is hard. Gerald had become a believer at that point. Josiah's becoming mm -hmm. into our world brought Gerald to his knees and realized that he couldn't do it on his own. And our marriage actually got harder after Gerald became a believer because I had to release 
that part of the marriage that God had designed for us, which is Gerald being the head of our home, I had to release that to him. And that was a hard thing to let go of. And I had to learn how to lead. I'd never done it before. So it and was a very messy transition. And didn't have an example in his own parents' marriage of how to lead spiritually. And so just letting that go. But in my mom and dad's wise, they sent me home after two weeks with them and said, I want you to go home and I want you to work on your marriage. And it was at that point that I started digging in and praying and releasing our marriage back to the Lord. And that's what healed our marriage. It's that release back to the Lord and trusting him. We still have broken things in our marriage. I'm still a terrible communicator with him and telling him what I need and what I, what I want from him. We continue to work it out. Yeah. <laughs> we invited Jesus in. He's been restoring us. We're healthier today than we've uh -huh. been. But we're not there yet. We're still no. working on it. We're a work in progress. Absolutely. But the leaving and cleaving and putting your wife first, I think, was, was his work was a priority over me. And my own needs were a priority over him. I was not clinging to him as he was supposed to be clinging to me. So that's where we broke down mm -hmm. in our marriage. Thanks, hon, for helping us see that from your perspective. <laughs> Lastly, the one flesh union gets messed up, right? So often in our culture, we, we meet and we express attraction and we jump straight into the one flesh union. We skip the leaving, we skip, skip the clinging, and we just go straight on one flesh, right? And we can't be blind or ignorant to the effect that that has on our life, on our culture, on our families, on our marriages. Because God has uniquely designed that one flesh union, and he knits us together more closely, more intimately, more permanently than any of us boot up thinking that he does. This was so for Israel, right? And Jesus reminds us that the prophet Malachi spoke into this. He spoke into the nation of Israel when they were wondering, okay, God, why don't you regard my prayers in the way that you once did? And in Malachi 2.15, he says, because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you've been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? This one flesh union comes with a portion of God's Spirit in it. So when we take it lightly and we go one flesh on the first day and then we try to break it apart, we can't do that without losing a part of us. This one flesh union, this marriage bond, this commitment, this covenant that is to be between a man and his wife is to last until death, and that is by God's design. We see that in 1 Corinthians 7, 39. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whom she wishes, only in the Lord. And that's the same for this one flesh union. That only is broken by death as well. Romans 7, verses 2 and 3 says, Thus a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. And accordingly, she'll be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. So God has designed marriage to last until death. And at death, the covenant expires. The marriage bond is broken. 
and we are freed to remarry anyone we choose only in the Lord. That's why marriage is so hard. Because every aspect of our marriage has been broken and corrupted and is missing as a result of the fall. And, the re and Jesus then takes it and he raises the bar and he says, What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And the Pharisees ask, Well, why then did Moses give us a commandment to send her away with a certificate of divorce? And Jesus says, It's because of the hardness of your heart. But from the beginning, it's not been that way. That's not part of God's original design. And to this, the disciples say, wow, if marriage is that hard, and if we are not to get out of it that easily, it's better if we just don't marry. They see how high the bar has been raised, and they don't even want to take the leap. How many of us are in that same boat? But what Jesus did is he came, and he came to restore. And that's the last part of the process, is to restore everything, every part of God's good design, back into existence. And that is the hardest, longest-fought part of the process. Let me show you what it looked like for one of my dad's tractors. This is a picture of a 1946 John Deere A with my oldest son Jesse on it. Looks like a tractor, right? It just looks like it's got faded paint. What you can't see is that the engine is stuck. All the internal components don't even move. That thing needed to be stripped down to the frame. It needed to be taken apart. And sometimes you and I feel like we're in that process, right? And if that feels like you, if you feel like you've been stripped down to that frame, you should be encouraged today because Jesus came to restore and he's committed to restoring you as deep as he needs to go in your life and to build you back up from there. He will begin to restore every part so that you begin to look like a tractor again until one day the end result is a living, operating, perfectly running example of what the original engineers have designed. That's the work that Jesus is doing in each of our lives. And I just want us to recognize that. I just want us to recognize that as painful as life is, as hard as our marriages are, God is always at work, if we'll let him. He's always at work restoring us. And he won't break into your life and begin to restore you unless you ask him. He's a gentleman. My dad did not get to work on any of those tractors until he purchased them. That's the same with us. Jesus is offering to us to come and to find rest. It's called redemption. When we trust the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we become adopted into his family as his chosen children on the basis of faith. That's grace. Received and acted upon in faith. And then when we do that, that's when we then invite him, Lord, I'm a mess. Come into my life and restore me. And he will. He knows what you were uniquely designed to do and to be by your creator, and he will piece by piece mate you at every broken element of your personhood, and he will restore you there. He'll give you a new identity, and he will recreate you and restore you into exactly 
what he wants you to be and to do. And so my question to you is, is where do you need to invite Jesus into your life? Do you need to invite him in for the first time? Just say, Lord, I'm a mess. Forgive me, I'm a sinner. Move in, save me, and begin to restore me. He loves to hear and answer prayers like that. Maybe you're in a difficult marriage and you're losing hope. Maybe it's time to invite one of our marriage mentors into your life and to have them come and be the hands and the feet of Jesus to you. Where do you need redemption? Where do you need restoration? Do you need to recognize that Jesus is at work in your life? Do you need to stop resisting him and to turn over the reins and let him have it? If you feel broken down, you need to know that he is breaking you down so that he can restore you. And he will recycle every bit of pain and use it for his glory. We have ministries that are designed to come alongside of and help you. We have marriage mentors, as I mentioned. You could fill out a prayer request on the bottom of this card, tear it off, drop it in a box in the back, and our elders and our ministry staff will be glad to pray with you. We have grief share for people who have lost earthly relationships and are weighed down by grief. We would love to come alongside of you and see God restore you there. We have divorce care for those of you who have gone through this and have lived in the pain of divorce. We want to invite Jesus into that pain and walk with you through that. We have a ministry called Embrace Grace for young women who find themselves pregnant outside of marriage. We want to meet you there. We want to introduce you to Jesus there and see him do a restoration work in your life. All of our ministries are designed to do this. And if you happen to lead or part of a small group, we have a curriculum you could use called Restore where your group could become a restoration group that invites Jesus in and allows him to restore you. I don't know how God wants to take these truths from his word today and apply them to your life, but the Spirit does, so let's pray. Let's invite him in. Father, we thank you for these truths, and we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come in and to lead us. Would you show us how and where you want to be restoring us, and would you lead us in that next faithful step? Would you fuel our worship now as we respond to you in sung worship? And would you have your way in our midst? We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.
Positioning, just even of our hands, can help our hearts to align what's being, what's being sung. So, just even encourage you to put them down in a place of surrender, invitation to the Lord, or even over your hearts to sing the song and just invite Him into every corner of your heart, of your mind, of your spirit. in you right now. Sing Holy Spirit, you're welcome here.
Our God is a God of revival. He's a God of restoration. He's a God of reconciliation. He's a God of redemption. And the offer is standing for each one of us today. Will we accept it? Will we step in? Will we lean in? Will we allow him to restore our lives, to meet us at our pain and to redeem that pain and restore us into his perfect design in humanity? Some of us might need somebody to pray with as we process through that. We'll have somebody up here on my left, your right. I'll be on the other side, and i am be glad to pray with you. Our prayer team would be glad to pray with you. We believe God hears our prayers. And when he hears our prayers and he moves, nobody can stand against him. If you're doubting that he can restore your life, I want you to speak that doubt away today because with Jesus, all things are possible. He can restore you, and through you, he can reach others. And I want to leave you with one word of encouragement out of 2 Corinthians 13 today. Paul says, finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.